What's up, everybody? Good afternoon. If it's your first time here, my name is Alvin, and I'm the lead pastor of Nashville Life, and I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, that was our friend, Pastor Tim Delina. He's senior pastors in New York City, and he was in town, and I was giving him a tour of the new of the new church, and my sister, and I think Matt Baldwin was scheduled, and he was like, I want to do announcements. Let me do announcements. So he jumped in and did basically that. That was not planned, but we were so honored to have him. He said, if 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 Times Square Church doesn't work out for me, I think I have a future in just doing announcements at Nashville Life. So uh, I told him that we can be a plan B for him. But uh, he's a blessing, he and his wife, to our church, and uh, we're grateful to have him. Uh, before we get into the word, I would just like for us to prepare our minds for what's about to be shared. Uh, so we like to do a declaration here that gets our hearts engaged and our minds engaged. So repeat these words after me. Uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Well, we are in week four of our five-week series called Zeal for the House. And uh, I'm excited for this. I, 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 I'm wearing a suit today. And if it's your first time, this doesn't happen ever. But I, I spoke at a church earlier this morning, and I was told that it was a bit more traditional. It was a Church of Christ uh, church, and I just wanted to be respectful to the culture. And I wore a suit. Turns out it was a pretty casual group. So I kind of overdid it. But I'm like, hey, I'm in a suit. Let's go. Let's, I'm going to preach in a suit. So uh, here we are. Mom and dad, enjoy it while it lasts. Um, I, I really enjoyed sharing with it because I'm realizing that the word of the Lord is, um, there's a word that's for this church that actually I believe is for all churches. Um, the church needs to be uh, encouraged. Um, we, 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 as well as the rest of humanity, suffered quite a hit the past year and a half in various ways, and I think um, it's time for the church of God to, to re-engage in our purpose, to re-engage in the mission of Christ. Obviously, a lot of us were in self-protection mode, self-preservation mode, whether politically, whether medically, whether health-wise, whether social-wise. Everyone's sort of really been tending to their own survival, and I think it's time that we really depart from that and move back into investing in the mission of Jesus Christ. Because according to the word of God, Christians have died to themselves. They've died to their lives and they've made their lives, according to scripture, Christians have made their lives 100% about the purpose of Jesus. So the reason why we're focusing on the zeal for the house, because it's time for us to re-engage with what is happening in the house of God, uh, at the house of God, and through the house of God. So I was able to share, um, because I just want to encourage us, the church is, is, is honestly my, 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 my number one passion. I just The local church is something that I have so much faith in and so much confidence in. Um, and it's not even a product of my personality. The scripture gives us so many reasons to have confidence 
and faith in what's happening in the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll start off with that scripture because I think that's such a confidence builder for anyone who is the member of the body of Christ, who's a member of the church. We need to understand that, first of all, we are a part of something that was established and built by Jesus Christ himself. And anything that Jesus builds is built to last. And the reason why we know it's built to last is because it is built on the sturdiest foundation that you could ever find. It is built on the rock. It is built on the rock of the word of God. And we see it in another parable that Jesus Christ says that a house that is built on the rock opposed to a house that's built on a sand on sand, it will withstand the worst of trials, the worst of storms, and the scripture of the parable says that the house that is built on the rock, even when the storm comes, they will still be standing. And when it comes to storms, I can't think of a greater opposition than the gates of hell. And Jesus says that even opposition from hell itself cannot stop the church from, from going forward, from enduring, from moving forward. So I think it's important that we understand that we have so much scriptural evidence to have the highest confidence in what we are a part of as the body of Christ and as the church. But I didn't always feel this way, just so you guys know. I, didn't, I wasn't born with a passion for the local church, in case you were wondering. Um, this was not the way I used to think. This was not the way I used to feel. This was not the way I used to talk, and it definitely wasn't the way I used to act. And when it comes to my life, it's important for you to know um, that I didn't just land here. Uh, I was, like I'm assuming all of you, sinner, a sinner. I was a sinner. I was an unbeliever. I was lost. And though I grew up in church, I had a cultural connection to Jesus. I had a family connection to Jesus, but I didn't have a personal, supernatural, heart conviction connection to Jesus. I just didn't. And it was revealed to me in high school. When we start getting independence and when we start uh, forming who we are, that's usually around that time where we, I had a car, I was able to go where I wanted to go, and there was just a little bit more freedom. And it was revealed to me that there was not much of faith in my own heart outside the context of my parents and my family. If you take culture out of it, if you take mom and dad out of it, for me, there was really nothing. And I was driven to a pretty dark place through high school and through some of college as well. And uh, a cultural connection to Jesus is just not enough. I don't care how churchy your culture and your background is. If you aren't born again, there is nothing there. I don't care how many people are saved and filled with the Holy Ghost in your family. If you don't have a personal heart connection to Jesus, there's nothing there. And I, that was me. I, I come from a long line of saints, but there was no personal connection. I was not born again. And you can tell in the way that I lived. You can tell in the way that I thought. You can tell in the way I felt. You can tell in the way I acted. So when it came to my life, I was in darkness, and I wanted to get away. I was graduated from college, and I wanted to, to discover who I was outside of the context of, of Nashville. I grew up in Nashville. I went to college in Nashville. I was tired of Nashville. So I wanted to get away, but I had an issue 
have a very large family, and they're very connected in the body of Christ. So I couldn't think of a single city that I could go to that my mom and dad couldn't call up a pastor in that city and say, keep an eye on Alvin. And I would have a, a car parked outside my house on a ride to church every Sunday. I just couldn't think of anywhere, and I, I, I thought, and literally the only English-speaking place I could think of that we didn't know anybody was Melbourne, Australia. And I say Melbourne, Australia intentionally because we know people in Sydney. So I, I couldn't do Sydney. So I picked Melbourne, and I knew one person that we had met years back. My mom was singing in Melbourne, and we had a driver that was around my age. And we, we uh, kept in touch via Facebook. And I told him I was looking for a place to go just for about three months. And he said he had a room uh, in his house with his roommates, a spare room that I could rent for those few months that I was in Australia. So I flew to Australia knowing no one but this one guy that I met one time, and he invited me to church. This was like day five, right. Uh, and it was about day five of my trip, and I, uh, I didn't want to go. It was kind of been there, done that, you know, but, but reason kicked in. I realized I don't know anybody in this city, so let me go and at least meet people. So I went, and little did I know I was walking into... Uh, quite the place. Uh, it was a very faith-filled, very fire-filled, <laughs> uh, passion-filled, sincere uh, church. And the worship and the word, these were people that were not just checking off a box for the day. These were people that wanted to encounter God every Sunday. And I met the pastor and uh, the, both of them, husband and wife, and Brahm and Diane Manusama from Melbourne, Australia. Their church was called Melbourne Life. You kind of know where the story is going to end up going. But uh, I, I had a big smile on my face, and them being the, the bold folks that they are, they said, uh, we see a smile on your face, but beyond that smile, we see a soul that's, that's in a lot of trouble and a lot of hurt. And we believe that God has sent you here as an assignment, and he's entrusted us with you, and we think you should come to this discipleship class it's a nine-month course, and we offer it every, uh, after every Sunday at church, and, uh, and it's nine months. And it just so happened that the Sunday that I came was day one of this nine-month course. And also, it just so happened that the guy that invited me was one of the volunteers for this class, so I didn't have a ride home. So I had to go to this class. So I'm sitting in the back with my arms folded, and I can't remember what was shared at the, at the orientation meeting, but whatever was shared was so compelling that I called my parents that night, and I said, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what this place is, but I believe I'm supposed to stay for this class. So that, that, that day, my three-month three stay turned to at least nine month, uh, a nine-month stay. And I ended up staying for a little under a year. And, man, I, I encountered Jesus in a way that went beyond culture, that went beyond mom and dad, that went beyond grandma and granddad, that went beyond black people, that went beyond America. And it went to my heart. It went to my soul. It went to the deepest part of who I am. And what happened was... Uh, I confessed sins I never confessed before in my life. I forgave people that I didn't even know I needed to forgive. And every type of liberty you can imagine happened. On top of that, I received um, such a passion because uh, while I was reading and uh, going through this, this nine-month course, 
uh, around halfway through, I started getting Im mental images of friends back home. Pictures of friends' faces, this girl and this guy and this guy and this girl. Friends of mine who I know were operating under the same cultural Christianity that I was living under. And I began to get this burden of wishing, just wishing that somehow, some way, my friends could experience the same levels of breakthrough that I was experiencing in my life. And it was just this natural thing. I just began caring about, man, I just wish, ooh, so-and-so could have heard this. Or, oh, man, that, that person would have loved to hear this. And uh, long story short, I fly back to Nashville, and I move back here after, like I said, almost a year. Uh, and I just started telling my story. I started talking to friends about what God had did in my life in Australia. And to be honest, uh, it wasn't all received. Not everybody received it well. I think people just didn't really know how to react to this change that had happened in me. And I felt really lonely for a while. And my prayer used to be, Lord, I want a community like I had in Australia, in Nashville. And after a year of that not happening, I changed my prayer. Lord, forget a community. Just give me one friend. Give me one friend in Nashville that I can talk about God with and be excited and not feel like a freak. And, and turns out that friend was my roommate at the time, my best friend to this day, Trey Smith, who goes to this church. They just had baby number two two days ago. Trey and Shannon, God answered my prayer, and he moved radically in Trey Smith's life. Trey uh, not only encountered Jesus, but had a, a very <laughs> intense encounter with the Holy Spirit and has not cooled down the fire ever since. And, and once I had this friend, we were, I mean, it was on. It was on because now I had a buddy, now I had a brother, and we started talking to, we had a list of friends, and we just started scheduling sit-downs with them, whether it was Baja Burrito or a restaurant or sometimes bars. We were just finding ways where we could talk to our friends about what had happened in Trey's life and what had happened in mine. And it started to build. People started talking and word on the street was that Alvin and Trey had turned into these radicals and 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 they were curious about what was going on so they start coming over to the house and we would get into the scripture and we would pray and people were like can you come and pray for my friend he's sick and I'm like can I do that? I'm like, yeah, I guess I can do that. But it was just still very new to me because I didn't have any credentials. I didn't have any titles. Um, and I was Skyping my pastors back in Australia during this time. I was still connected to them. They were still my pastors. And I was asking them, are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to, like, people are asking for us to pray for them. Like, I just... They said, of course you're allowed to do this. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Go for it. You know, so, so next thing you know, we were having these meetings at our house, and people were coming to hear about the scriptures, and we were talking about scripture. And it got so dynamic to where Diane and Brom from Australia said, man, we're at the edge of our seat every day waiting for you to Skype us and tell us who knew got saved that day because every, every other day someone knew was coming back to Jesus. And it was, it was so electric, and it was so, it was so intense but so fun and, and they were like, we want to be a part of this. What would you say if we came to Nashville and did a seven-day kind of condensed version of the class that you took in Australia, Alvin, which was literally my prayer that somehow 
my friends back home could experience what I was having in Australia. And God made it to where they came, and, and it got too big for my house, so I asked my parents if we could use their home. So I invited about 20 people to come over to my house. Some of them are still here at this church today. And, and, and uh, 40 people showed up because, as you know, friends have friends. So people are like, well, can I bring my friend? Can I bring my girlfriend? Can I bring my sister? I'm like, sure. So we had seven days of worship, of prayer of freedom, of, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, of forgiveness, of repentance, of confession. And before you know it, the same fire that was in me and Trey was now in just about the whole 40 that showed up at the house. So now we've got 40 people around town saying something happened to me. Jesus had an encounter with me. Something it happened. And they're, like, and they're talking so fast. Like, what's going on? They're like, it happened at Alvin's parents' house. These Australians came over and this, this, this. And now word around the street is that we're having these meetings. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not weird, I promise. And, 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 but, 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 but there was a buzz happening in our little circle of friends. So much to where we bought the, the people back, our pastors back from Australia. They, we, they, they came and did another seven days at my parents' house. This time, 80 people showed up at the house. We rented a 15-passenger van because we had to have people park at the elementary school outside my parents' subdivision. And I was the shuttle driver. And I would drive uh, back and forth, people from the parking lot of the elementary school to the house. And for seven days, we had the same thing. And now, 80 people. So, side story that I think you guys should understand is my parents... Our founding pastors, Pastor Alvin and Pastor Cece, they have been getting prophecies since 1995 that they were going to pastor a church. And it became to the point to where it was so regular that it was actually frustrating them a bit because they, it didn't resonate at all in their hearts. It did not resonate as something that was for them and something that really connected with their gifts and how they're wired. But it was so persistent. Almost twice a year, it seemed like a different minister in a different part of the world was saying, you guys are going to pastor a church one day. And it got to the point where my dad had to just say, Lord, like, this doesn't resonate with me. At the same time, everybody's so many people are saying this. So if I'm missing something, you've got to make it so obvious to me that a blind man could see that I'm supposed to start a church. So fast forward a few years later, he has 80 of his son and daughter's friends in his living room. And he says he sensed God say, how much more obvious would you like for me to make it? God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to make it clear. And that night, my parents stood in front of the 80 people and said, raise your hand if you have a home church that you're committed to. And about half rose their hand. And they said, for the other half, we don't know what we're doing, but we believe that we're supposed to start a church. And if you would like to be a part of this, you're more than welcome to come. And on March 20 what? 28th, 2012, Nashville Life was planted. And here we are. <laughs> Praise God. And we have been going ever since. And in January of this year, my dad gave the lead pastor position over to me. And, and we're, we're, just, we're just moving forward. But I'm, I'm, I'll tell you that story to tell you that I didn't always have a passion for the local church. But if you give your heart to Jesus, he will transform your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. I didn't know these were desires of mine. He would give you desires. A lot of times people think that that means that he gives you what you already want, but like he gives you desires. 
He'll give you a taste for things that you didn't have a taste for. He'll give you a passion for things that you didn't have a passion. He'll make you care about things that you would have never cared about. I think we need to know how to read that scripture. He will give you desires. He will actually give you desires in your heart. And, and, and the local church is one of the desires that he's given me. He's given me a passion to see God's people come together. So there's three takeaways I want you guys to have from that story. One is don't underestimate the faithfulness of God. Don't underestimate the faithfulness of God. I truly believe that I'm here as a product of the prayers of my parents, the prayers of my grandparents, the prayers of random saints in the church that have just been invested in praying for me. I know that it's by no merit of my own. I know that God's faithfulness is not a product of, of anything of me. He's just, he's just full of faith, even when our faith is low. His faith is always high. And I just want you guys to know as you're praying, and for those of you who have uh, kids who are wayward, uh, wayward sons and wayward daughters and wayward grandsons and unbelieving granddaughters or whatever, nieces, nephews, just remember that God is faithful. Do not underestimate his faithfulness. And if you just continue to, to just trust that God is faithful, you will be amazed at where he will take your life and take your family. The second thing I want us to take away from is don't underestimate your influence with your friends. Before there was a church, before there was a, a revival, it was just me wanting to talk to friends. And I've, if you guys see, when it comes to big movements, they always will start with your immediate circle. You don't have to look far for some of you guys thinking, I'm not going to be used by God until I get sent to the nations. It's like, yo, like, that might happen, but right now, he can use your immediate circle. Like, how many people are you overlooking right now? How many coworkers have, are you overlooking? How many neighbors are you overlooking? How many friends and cousins are you overlooking when it comes to sharing your story? And also, don't underestimate the power of your story. You do not have to have a preaching gift to be effective in the kingdom of God. You do not have to be the most gifted communicator. All you have to do is know how to articulate what Jesus has done for you. And we all should know how to do that. You do not need a spiritual gift to be able to articulate that Jesus changed my life. The woman at the well did not have some, all she said was, y'all, I met a man that, that told me everything about me. And that was enough to bring her whole city to, to meet Jesus. So please don't underestimate your influence in, with your friends. You'd be amazed. So much of what I'm experiencing right now happened just at a coffee shop or a, a restaurant or, or my house and just talking about what he's doing in my heart. So please don't underestimate your influence with your friends. And number three, do not underestimate the future of this church. Do not underestimate the future of this church. And just so you guys know, I'm, I preached, I said, that, I said the exact same thing to Fourth Avenue Church of Christ in downtown Franklin. So my point is, I do believe that God has a special call on, on Nashville life, but I don't believe I'm preaching anything that's exclusive to this church because the Bible says that he's building one church. And yes, there's different bodies and different communities, but, but I am going to speak specifically to Nashville life because this is where we are and this is where you go, at least I think. 
Um, so, so, so don't underestimate the future of this church. We are in the series Zeal for the House, and this is all about engaging us and getting us back to a place of passion, a place of focus, a place of submission, a place of faith regarding the house of God, because it's required for us to move forward. And we're doing it via the book of Haggai. We've been studying the book of Haggai, which some of y'all said y'all didn't even know was in the Bible. And, and I get it, because I didn't grow up reading a lot of Haggai, but y'all, it's so relevant. It is such a, a rhema word from God for the church in 2021. So we did, uh, Haggai basically covers a time where Israel, they were uh, in exile living in Babylon, and a remnant of Israel moved back to Jerusalem, a, a city that used to be beautiful, a city that used to be thriving and great, and all of it now was a wasteland. It had been totally destroyed, and it looked just like a, 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 a apocalyptic movie. Everything was burnt down, and everything just looked bad. And this group of believers were given the task to rebuild this city, and it was a very daunting task. And they were rebuilding the house of God. They were rebuilding the temple. And they, were worked, they worked for about two years on the temple. They built the foundation. They built the altar. But it was just getting discouraging. They started getting weary. They started getting uh, losing focus. They started getting distracted. They started dealing with all types of distractions. And before you knew it, they stopped working on the house of God. And 14 years later, after 14 years of no work being done on the house of God, God moved in Haggai and told Haggai to go address the people and basically rebuke them and tell them that God is noticing that they are giving more attention to their personal homes and their personal affairs and they're neglecting the affairs of the house of God. So he told them to basically change their priorities, drop what they're doing and go up and get wood and chop wood down and start finishing the house of God. And they said once they obeyed God, God stirred up their spirits and, and got them excited about what they were doing. He stirred up a passion in them. And that's what we covered last week. But I want to start at verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. And this is how I'm going to end. I'm just going to read this passage. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. It says, in the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, sorry, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. So God asked them, who's, who's still here that remembers what this place used to be? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? So basically, who remembers what this house used to be? And how do you think it looks now compared to what it used to be? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? So basically saying compared to what the house used to be, does it currently look like nothing? Verse 4, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. So even though right now the house of God looks like wasteland compared to what it used to, do, used to be, be strong, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And the next part after it says, be strong, he says, and work. 
be strong and work. Why? For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, everyone take heed. Once more, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And this is the part that I want you guys to remember. Verse 9, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that awesome? So we're dealing with a group of people that remembered the heyday of Jerusalem, and they remember what the temple used to look like. And they were in a daunting task of rebuilding something that looked like nothing compared to what it used to be. And it was so easy for them to give in to the narrative that the best days of this temple was in the past. The best days of this temple and the best days of this city and the best days of this house was yesterday. And God is basically saying, I understand that's how it looks, but I need you guys to be strong in this moment, and I need you guys to get to work. Because when you obey my voice, you will see that the glory that is to come is going to be greater than any glory that you've seen in the past. And this is no disrespect to the past and the giants that came before them and the people that, that, that gave great sacrifices and they saw great moves of the Spirit. This is no disrespect to that glory because it was indeed glorious. He's not saying that the past was not glorious. He's saying that the glory of the past is going to pale in comparison to the glory of the future. So this is no disrespect on the past. We honor the past, but we also understand that the glory of the future is going to make the past look like hardly nothing. And that's, that's, that's how comparisons work. You put somebody who's four feet tall next to someone who's two feet tall, and that four-foot-tall person looks tall. But then you put a six-foot person next to that four-foot person, and that person doesn't look tall anymore. So my point is, yes, God moved powerfully in the past, but when you put it next to what's coming in the future, it's going to make that former glory look like very, very small compared to the latter glory. And I just can't help but resonate with this as a member of the church in 2021. Because I can't talk to a single pastor that hasn't told me that they're working with a fraction of what they had before COVID. 
And it's so easy to buy into the narrative that, man, back in the 50s, man, they knew what God was about. Man, back in the 60s and the great revival, they knew. Back in the 70s and the Jesus movement, oh, man, people were on fire. Back in the 80s, man, the houses were packed. This church used to be full in the 90s. Oh, man. And it's so easy to buy into the narrative that yesterday was back when it was good. But I need you guys to know that, that not only is that a discouraging way to think, it's a false way to think. It's not true. As easy as it is to buy into the narrative that the church has declined and that it's just filled with division. and it's filled, Yes, it might look like that right now. It might look like the days of Nashville life were better back in DMS or better back with G12 or better back with whatever. Whatever was yesterday it's easy to buy into it was better then. But God is saying, be strong and work. Be strong and work, for he is with us. And if we continue to work, we will get past this threshold, and we will see that the glory that God has for us tomorrow will make every season of the past pale in comparison. And this is the word of the Lord for not only Nashville Life, but I truly believe it's for the body of Christ at large because this is a word for, for all of his people, that the latter temple will be greater than the former. And it takes faith to think this way because just so you guys know, God, through Haggai, gave this word to Israel while they were looking at a temple that looked like a piece of junk. So I'm not teaching denial here. I'm not saying to deny that things look bad. They were in a rough situation. That temple did look worse than what it used to be. But that's why he said be strong and work. Because when we come together, he also says something else that, I mean, whatever. It's, it's, it's not the... The, uh, the most settling way to think about God, but it's, it's what he does. And if you're going to know him, you need to know all of them. <laughs> you need to know all of God if you're going to know God. He says that he shakes things. God has a tendency of shaking things on purpose. And I'm not trying to read into this. You can interpret this how you want, but the Lord has a history of shaking things on purpose, and as much as he knows that we hate it, and as much as he knows that it throws us off our rhythm, and it throws us off our mark, and it throws us off of our routine, and we all know how much most of us hate that. And he knows that we hate that. But there's a greater purpose that happens when he shakes all things. When you shake something, anything that's not planted falls away. When you shake something, anything that's not securely rooted blows away. And I think it's important for you all to know that for the body of Christ, I truly believe, and I've gotten confirmation from other people all around the world in the body of Christ. But the Lord has been doing a shaking. And as much as it's not out of malice, and he's not being mean, but he has to test to see who's really with him and who's really not. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it takes shaking sometimes to reveal where people really are. 
A lot of you all have said to me in past, and I, and I can relate that, that this year revealed where we really were. I had a lot of things brought to my attention. That I was like, wow, I thought I was further along than where I really am. But shaking has a way of bringing truth to the surface. So given we have a God that's for truth, he shakes things to see what's actually rooted. And as much as we are seeing, it perceives like a great falling away. And he started the question, he said, who's left? And I don't know if sometimes you guys might have asked yourself that. Who's left? Who's still here? But he says, I was doing a shaking. I was doing a shaking. And the cool thing about it is the reason why we have to trust the Lord is that after the shaking ends, whoever's still standing, that's actually the ones who are in faith and those who are ready to work. And the Lord, if look at the story of Gideon. The Lord has, has proven to rather work with a smaller committed group than a whole bunch of fluff. The Lord, we saw with the story of Gideon, he said, reduce, the, reduce it. And like, that seems so counterintuitive. Lord, don't, don't you want us to grow? He goes, but I also want it to grow. And the way he grows is to prune. He shakes. And sometimes cutting away actually brings more growth. And I think it's important for us to understand that though it can look discouraging as the body of Christ, now I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking beyond Nashville life right now. I'm speaking about just the church at large because I, I was literally on the phone with my pastor friend from South Africa yesterday. It's the same thing everywhere you go. I mean, Africa's far. And they, I mean, we were finishing each other's sentences. This is a global matter. And this past year is causing things to shake. But the Lord says, take heart, because what still remains is going to be so potent. It's going to be so concentrated. It's going to be so united that that, that that smaller remnant is going to have such an explosion. And then that's when we're going to see this amazing influx of new believers, people coming back to the faith, signs and wonders, amazing things to where we can honestly say that this is more glorious than anything that we saw before the shaking. The Lord will orchestrate your life where you will say, my life is more glorious now than before the shaking that I thought was going to destroy my life. And you can apply this even to an individual level. Because some of our greatest tests, some of our greatest crises, some of our greatest challenges have been thresholds to a greater capacity. The Bible says that new wine can't be put in old wineskins. And if you don't know the Bible, then you'll get confused when you feel your wineskin tearing. And when you feel it falling apart. And you're going, oh my God, my life is ending. When, but if you don't know your Bible, you don't realize that he's actually facilitating a new wineskin because it's not until you become a new wineskin that you can receive the new wine. The Bible says that when new wine gets put in old wineskin, not only does it spoil the wine, but it ruins the wineskin. So what he does is he goes, I have new wine. I have a great harvest. But until, until I bring correction to the house of God and we, and we repent and we turn from our wicked ways and we seek his face. He says, there's so much that I plan to do, but the wineskin, there's an issue. So what he does is he shakes stuff. 
he shakes stuff to all the stuff that's loosely connected falls away. And I know that can sound mean, but the Lord goes, man, the ones who fall away, they'll be back too, but they'll be back under a new wineskin. There's a lot of people, the Lord is not trying to do away with anybody, but he also knows who's on his team and who's, who he's, so there's certain people, I don't know if you guys have been like coaches before on a team, but like there's certain times where it's like, yo, like we need to actually like bench some people until we kind of get a little bit more of a lead, and then when we get a lead, we can bring them back. Like that's kind of what happens with God. God goes, I love people, but at the end of the day, we've got some people that I need to sit this next season out because there's a real work that has to be done. He said, and once we break through and I get to where we got some momentum, okay, then some of the ones who are a little bit fair weather fans, they'll, they'll, y'all can come back on now. So the people who are falling away from the shaking, it might not be forever. He's not sending them to hell, but he's going for the work that I need to do. I need a committed bunch. I need a passionate bunch. I need a faith-filled bunch who are willing to be strong and work even when it looks bad. And then when it's looking good and we're on top, then I can bring the ones who only have the capacity to be a part of the church when everything is going beautifully. I'll bring, they can come back on then. So that's what's happening. That's what's happening here. It's what's happening at Fourth Avenue Church of Christ. It's what's happening in South Africa. It's what's happening in Europe. It's what's happening in, the, in South America. There is a shaking happening, but the Lord says, take heart, be strong and work because the latter house will be greater. The glory that God is going to fill the temple with, the house of God is going to be filled with so much glory. But he has to prune. And pruning is always a, a tough concept because it seems like it's counter. Uh, intuitive, it seems like it counteracts what you're trying to do. Like, I'm trying to grow this tree. Why am I cutting this tree? He goes, ah, oh, but you don't understand. <laughs> there's, there's, when, when, when there's, uh, when there's parts of it that don't produce fruit, it actually can prevent the other parts from producing fruit. So I have to cut things that aren't fruitful to make room for what is fruitful to produce even more fruit. God's ways are very different than ours. Just so you know, God's ways goes, he goes, whoever has more, more will be given. God is the kind of person that if one area is producing a lot of fruit, he doesn't go, let's distribute all that fruit to everybody else. He goes, no, give, take all that and give it to more people because the ones who are fruitful, I want to give more because they've proven to be good ground. So God is someone who wants a return on his investment. So the Lord is actually, again, you got to take the whole God. If you're going to love God, you got to take the whole God. God is a type that will take away from people who aren't fruitful and will give what they had to those who were fruitful. We live in a world that says everyone needs to have equal amounts and it's not fair. And God goes, I chase where the fruitfulness is. We, we, we try to subject God to what we think is fair. But we have to understand that God is fair because he's God. And even if it's a rule that you think is not fair, God is the kind of God that graciously says tough because he's God. So my point is when it comes to pruning, we can, according to human standards, pruning is unfair because we go, oh, that tree, that branch isn't producing anything. Let's take, I mean, we are so opposite from God. We go, let's take from the branch that's producing fruit and then let's put it on this branch and just tape it on. Knowing that that branch is not fruitful, but so, but so things can look fair, 
And so things can look even. We take from people who are producing fruit and go, let's tape it on the branch and so that, see, everybody's fruitful now. But what happens is if you, brand, if you put it on a branch that's not fruitful, it's actually going to spoil the fruit that you taped on there because fruit is not meant to grow by tape. It's meant to grow by what the root source is. Again, it, it's different than the way we think. God goes, not only am I not going to do that, but I'm going to take from what that, that few things that that branch has, and I'm going to move it to that branch that's just shooting, shooting fruit. That's why the Lord says be fruitful. It's a command. And he says, he goes to the next step, he goes, if you're not fruitful, I hate to say this, but it's Jesus' words. He says he'll cut you away. So my point is, sometimes the Lord is doing a shaking because he has to remove a little bit of the riffraff. And I know it might sound insensitive to call human beings riffraff, but there's some riffraff in humanity. There is some riffraff in humanity. And the Lord has to, has to make something potent. Why? Because there's a greater purpose that the body of Christ must accomplish. And that is for the world to be reconciled to him. And the Lord is the kind of God where he's not going to let anything get in the way of his mission, including us. God loves me. I know he loves me. He died on the cross for me. But as much as God loves me, God does not love me to the degree that he's going to let me get in the way of what his work is. That's the kind of God he is. And that's actually because of his love for me. Because if, I, if he lets me abort the work, then I suffer. That's why he told Peter, that's why he called Peter said, get behind me, Satan. Because the work that you're trying to prevent me from doing is actually going to hurt you, Peter. The work that I'm trying to do is actually going to save your life, Peter. So I've got to tell you to get out of my way. <laughs> because this work is for you. So if we are, um, I don't even know how I got here. It's different. I do understand. Just so you know, even as I talk it, I can hear it's different than how we think, especially in, in our country. It's just different. But it's God's kingdom. And, and we have to make up in our mind, what are we first? Where is our citizenship? Is our citizenship in the kingdom of God? Or is it in our cause or our national? We have to, we have to make, up, we have to make up our minds. Where is our citizenship? Where is our identity primarily rooted? And because the kingdom of God operates very differently than other, other kingdoms. So the Lord says, be encouraged, because though it looks like it's a great falling away, it's actually an assembly of the committed. It's actually a gathering of those who are actually in this. And when he gets that that fist, just like Gideon, even just like the 300. The 300 was able to do what the thousands couldn't because strength isn't always in the numbers. Sometimes it's in the faith. Sometimes it's in the commitment. It's in the unity. It's in the order. So be encouraged, guys, because I believe the stage is being set for the greatest glory that we have ever seen, ever seen. The stage is being set for the greatest glory that we've ever seen. So, guys, let's learn from the story in the book of Haggai.
there's two things. Be strong and work. Be strong. But I just, I don't, I don't like be strong. And the reason why he said he said, because I'm with you. You have to let the knowledge that God is with you strengthen you. Be strong, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. According to the word of God, remembering that God is with you is powerful enough to remove fear. It's, pow- it's powerful enough to remove uh, weakness. Because though we are weak, if he is strong with us, the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So if you're saying, man, I just feel so weak, God's like, cool, that's actually where I'm the strongest. Be strong because I am with you. And work. And we covered last week, it's not on the slides, but the way we work, I said personally, in your family, and then corporately. That's how we built the house. Personally. You must be in your Bible every day. You must pray every day. You must worship the Lord in your personal time every day. Number two, in your family, I've been really charging and challenging the husbands and the dads in here to not only pray for your family, but pray with them. Let them hear you pray. Let them hear you read the word. Let them hear you speak truth. I'm not saying you've got to become a pastor of a church, but you, 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 you do need to know how to pastor your, your, your wife and your kids. That's not even my, that's not, that's, that's out of my zone. I don't do, I don't do that. <laughs> I can pastor the church, but I can't pastor your wife. Like, that's, there's an area that's, that's for you. That's you. That's your job. Dads. Yes, Joel and Brandon are great, but it's your job to disciple those kids. It's your job. We supplement, we support. We can't reach where you can reach. That's you. Corporately, we come together like we're doing today. I'm so happy to see you all here. I'm so happy to see your faces. You didn't have to come, and you did. Good job. You guys are giving. Keep tithing. Keep being generous. Keep serving. We're about to do a serve day at Paragon Mills. Serve the community with us. Lead a life group. Serve. It's a service. It's a sacrifice. We're the priesthood. It's our job to sacrifice on behalf of the people for God. We make sacrifices and intercession to those who are still lost. In case you didn't know that you have a job as a priest, now you know. We are the priesthood, and we make spiritual sacrifices on behalf of our city, on behalf of the lost. And we do it unto God so that he can be blessed. This is how we build. The last thing is zeal for the house. We announced this last week. We're going to be doing a zeal for the house offering December the 5th. And I want you guys to take the time between now and then to be thinking about what that offering is. And I'm talking, I'm talking financially. And the zeal for the house offering can work two ways. You can give in accordance to what your zeal for the house is, which is awesome. Or you can give according to what you want your zeal to be. 
And just so you know, um, this particular offering, it's, it's not exclusively for our, our new building. We're actually wanting to take this zeal for the offering house, I mean zeal for the house offering, and, and, and bless our local community. Nashville Life gives 10% of our contributions to, to 50%, well, 30, 20% national, 30% international, and 50% local. So that's, we, and we do local missions with, with what comes in. Um, this zeal for the house offering will um, be exclusively for local missions. Like we're actually, it's going to be 100% uh, what's happening locally here in Nashville. Um, we'll still do it with the general contributions, you know, 20% national and 30% international and 50% local. But for the zeal for the house offering, all of this is going towards local. Um, and I want you guys to be thinking about what that is because it's going to be right before the holiday, right before Christmas. We're going to be able to bless families from this Paragon Mill School. I want to bless at least 100 families in a way that's going to let them know that God loves them and that there's a church that's thinking about them. So be, be thinking about that. And uh, just understand, guys, that we're in a very exciting time. We're at the brink of the greatest glory that we've ever seen. And this is not just wishful thinking. This is not just general optimism. It's, it's scripture. This is in the word of God that the latter house will be greater. So I'm not saying dishonor back in the day. I remember when we were in the house, man, the house was so great. We just took our shoes off and we ate Jet's pizza and we just worshiped till 11 a.m. Oh, my God, that was the best. I can't think that way anymore. Because if that was the best, then I'm experiencing something less than the best now. I can love it. I can say that was amazing, but I can't say that was the best anymore. Because if the best is back there, then what's, what's, what do I have to look forward to? That means it's all downhill. Y'all got to change y'all's language. I can say it was awesome. I can say I loved it. But it's not the best. The best is yet to come. Oh, man, DMS, oh, it was the best. Oh, my gosh, yeah, it was awesome. But it wasn't the best according to the word of God. Oh, man, G12, oh, God, it was, yes, it was awesome, but it's not the best compared to what's coming. Oh, before COVID, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, it was just, oh, my gosh, it was so. <laughs> it was nice. But according to my Bible, What's coming tomorrow is better than anything pre-COVID. I rebuke the lie that the pre-COVID church will be better than the post-COVID church. It's a lie. It's a lie. The future is going to be the best. So let's be strong and let's work and let's stand if you can. Father, I thank you so much for the word that you gave to Haggai, that he spoke to the people, God. And I thank you, Lord, that we're still benefiting from that word. Lord, as glorious as you've been in the past, as, as wonderfully as you've moved in our lives, Lord, you are inviting us to a belief that what's coming is greater than what we've seen.
God, I pray, Lord, that we repent from the despairing, depressing perspective that our best days were yesterday. God, I rebuke that, that, that mindset that lets us know that we have nothing to expect but down decline. God, but I pray, Lord, that even though it looks that way, even though it looks that way, even though it looks like compared to right now, yesterday was better. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would learn from Haggai and learn from these people and adopt a new mindset. I pray that we would renew our minds in a way that we start to have visions and dreams about what's ahead. God, I pray, Lord, that we would start being stirred up about what you're doing and what's coming our way. God, I pray, Lord, that we would start walking by faith and not by sight. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, the only person that can guarantee that your future will be better than your past is Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus Christ, it's a cool concept that will never come true. But with Jesus, he promises you a future and a hope that will be so glorious. He actually says he's preparing a place for that future. He's preparing your future home right now that's going to be so glorious, so much greater than anything that you've seen on earth. And this earth is filled with God's glory. There's some glorious things on earth, but Jesus says what we have coming is going to make the earth pale in comparison to what he has coming for us. So if you want that guaranteed destiny of a better future, than anything that you've experienced in the past. And for some of you guys that's saying a lot, some of you guys have had some amazing, glorious things happen in your past. And the Lord's saying, I know it was great, but it wasn't the best. I know you can't imagine things being better than that relationship or things better than that job or things better than that time where you joined the church or things being better than that time at the house. I know you can't imagine that it could be better than what you've experienced before, but the Lord says, I do exceedingly above what you can imagine. I know you can't imagine how it's better. I know you don't see how, how, how Nashville life can be better than what it was back in 2015. But God goes, I know you can't imagine. That's why I say I do above what you can imagine. The Lord is asking for us to trust him that he has something better in store ahead. So if you want that, guaranteed promise choose Jesus he will lead you to the greener pastures that you never thought that you would ever see he is the good shepherd so repeat this prayer after me if you are ready to follow him and even if you are following him let's just recite this together for those who are reciting it for the first time say father in the name of Jesus I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for leading us to the best days. 
With Jesus, our best days have yet to come. So congratulations if you said yes to Jesus.